It was it was called giving people what they want. Um, <laughs> you know, we learned this so. I'm Hello and welcome to episode 148 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar. But on this weekly podcast, I chat to the true rockstars, my fabulous guests and chums that I've met on my 20-year journey from SysApp into CMO and share the marketing street knowledge that we hope will inspire your inner rockstar. Come and say hello. You can find links to me, my guests, and all the things we talk about in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com. And we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. It's the 7th of January, the first show of 2023. So happy new year. I hope you've had a good week and you are well. I've got a slight cold and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. Another big show this week as I try to fit everyone in. Fellow MPN podcaster Seth Goldstein drops by for a prediction. Jeff Clark is back from holiday. I go backstage with marketing educator and founder of SiteLogic, Matt Bailey. And we wind down the first week of the year with Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also, small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash MPN. Terms and conditions apply. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Steve Turney hosts a great podcast geared toward mental health marketers called The Boost. Steve, tell listeners what you cover on the show. The Boost is our podcast, and the tagline is conversations with people promoting mental health, and that's what it is. So it's marketers, company executives, therapists, and mental health advocates talking about what they're doing to move this industry and this important thing called mental health forward. Amazing. And where can people subscribe? I'm big on LinkedIn, so you can find us there, just uh, slash Steve Turney, or you can find the show at marketingpodcasts.net. Or search for The Boost wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. Before we get to our first regular segment with Jeff Clark, let's quickly hear from former guest and fellow MPM podcaster Seth Goldstein on what he thinks about 2023. Welcome back, Seth, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm doing amazing, Ian. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much. You were last on the episode 130, uh, so thanks for coming back. Um, yeah. And for folks who didn't hear episode 130, Seth, what is it you do, mate? I am a digital marketer, uh, which is pretty much a 
umbrella term for I do websites, <laughs> SEO, digital marketing strategy, email marketing, and I dabble in podcast um, marketing and um, production a little bit. But I'm mostly yeah. that and a podcaster. So, and you, and your agency is uh, Goldstein Media, right? Yeah, Goldstein Media. Yeah, Goldstein. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So, and you also are a fellow podcaster on the marketing podcast network uh, tell yes. us about your podcast entrepreneurs enigma what is it that you yeah so entrepreneurs enigma is a about the enigma of being an entrepreneur about the puzzle mm-hmm. because you never quite understand why you're a entrepreneur like why am i mm-hmm. doing this from day to day and it's about the ups and the downs of entrepreneurship about the trials and tribulations and and the successes even of being an mm-hmm. entrepreneur and how You've got how these are my guests, how they've gotten to that point in their career. Some of them are mm-hmm. younger in their entrepreneurial career. Some of them have had 40 years. And we yeah. just talk about the what's the best thing about being an entrepreneur, what's the worst thing about being an entrepreneur. And then there's, just, then there's a question that I will not reveal because everyone's thinking. <laughs> so it's not scandalous or anything like that. It's, I'm, not, I'm not Barbara Walters, may, may she rest in peace, but, or anything like that. But. No, it's a really good show. And I listen to it. I think it's great. I love and, it. Yeah. Uh, and so that's Entrepreneurs Enigma, which you can find on all good podcasting platforms and some rubbish ones too, I assume, yes, right? or absolutely. at Marketing Podcast Network. Now, the reason why uh, you're here, Seth, is I'm interested in your predictions for 2023. What do we have? A big one is going to go counter to what a lot of people are saying, the naysayers. They're saying mm-hmm. that podcasting as an audio, mostly as an audio medium is going to go away. I think they're completely wrong. I think it might not be a revenue driver directly. I think it might actually be more of a business strategy, something to get your branding out there, something to make yourself a a um, thought leader in the space. I think that a lot more people are going to want to be on podcasts. And you might not see these huge numbers like the Joe Rogans or the Tim Ferriss's of the world with thousands upon thousands of episode downloads every episode. But these more niche podcasts like Ian's, like yours, the Rockstar CMO, or Entrepreneurs and Enigma, or Digital Marketing Die, for that matter, the other podcasts I do on the the network. And I feel like those are more branding efforts versus self-standing efforts that are just like, I don't think that that's going to be the creator economy per se. It's going to be more wrapped more in the marketing, I think. Right. Oh, right. So you think the podcast is going to be more of a one of our tactical mm-hmm. uh, marketing tools that we use, rather than it just being the preserve of you know people that are looking to build their personal brand. I think it's also a personal brand, but I don't think yeah. we're going to see a whole lot of people just doing the podcasting as a career. Right. Like I, right. I don't think that like I think video is where it's at with doing. Mm-hmm. You know, solo entrepreneur creator economy. You have to have a video element yeah. to make it yeah. really a career. Which you can yeah. still have audio and video, like Jay Klaus does over at Creative Elements. He does both video and audio, and it works for him. He gets he's one of those guys that gets the big download numbers. But for mm-hmm. us, we're doing it more for the branding, for our yeah, yeah. professional professional branding, for our personal branding, for yeah. just and plus we like to talk and meet people. <laughs> I mean, I use it for I use it for a networking tool. I, yeah. I, I, I use it as an excuse to reach out to people that I'd be too scared to reach out to otherwise. <laughs> I must say, yeah, because um, as I've said on the show a few times, uh, this was a pandemic project uh, for me and cooped mm-hmm. up at home. It was a great way of uh, of networking and meeting people and talking Staying to all my sane. old colleagues and new folks that I'm learning. So, yeah, so that's what it's all about. 
Yeah, but so it's, it's, definitely fabulous. The so it's definitely the future of podcasting is more branding. Yeah. So, and that's, uh, that, I, I guess that's, um, that, that's only right, considering we started off talking about Marketing Podcast Network, right? So that you should predict <laughs> that podcasting is going to be the big thing in 2020. Uh, Jason would be very happy with me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, Jason Falls, who is the ringleader of the Marketing Podcast Network, who well was said. actually on my show last week. So, yeah, so if you want to, oh, he, want to catch up with Jason. Oh, he he's is. a hoot. He's from Kentucky. He's, he's a yeah. hoot. He's, <laughs> other than Ian, he's one of my favorite people. So. <laughs> I think you're my favorite Brett, Ian. I think you're my favorite Brett, and he's my favorite Kentuckian. That's that, you've obviously not met that many British people. But <laughs> no, you guys are all pretty jolly. But you're, you're, I think you're the most giggly, happy, go lucky Brett I've ever met. So keep Thank going. You, mate. All right. So uh, to round this off, mate, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Go to entrepreneursenigma.com. Sorry for a really hard word. It's French, entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> entrepreneursenigma.com let's search for seth goldstein i'm one of the many seth goldsteins out there you'd be surprised there's yeah. a lot out there but if you yeah. search for on linkedin just go linkedin.com slash n slash goldstein media that's my personal mm-hmm. thing you can yeah, find i think there's only one goldstein media all right yeah, buddy that's one and yeah. i look forward to catching up with you very soon i can't wait have a good one mate cheers happy new year, happy new year. Thank you, Seth. Good news, regular listeners. Our resident rock star, CMO advisor and former research director at Forrester, Jeff Clark, is back in the marketing studio. Ian, the studio is open. Uh, where, the, on, the on-air light is off. We want to come in? <laughs> Thank you, mate. It's nice to see you again after your break. How was your holiday? It was great. It was great. It, uh, you know, I mean, we, we often talk about the, uh, the weather and the, the one thing that I'll have, I'll have to say <laughs> is that, you know, um, with climate change, uh, you know, we don't get the winters that we used to in Massachusetts, but, you know, now I have to go to the 52nd parallel in Norway <laughs> to, uh, to, you know, actually experience winter. Uh, and it was beautiful. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. You just come back from Norway. Yes, I right? did. Yes. Yes. Fantastic. The little town of Egadal. Yes. Splendid. And did you get to see uh, Santa and his reindeers and all that stuff? Um, I got, I got, I, I got to eat some that. reindeer. <laughs> so I guess I saw the reindeer, but I, I didn't see Santa. Oh, well. oh no. And my grandson thought I was Santa. So, you know, hey. <laughs> That's nice. I'll, I'll have to, uh, we'll have to um, have a. Uh, mate, put, warn the kids about that. You were just about to <laughs> <eat> Rudolph. <laughs> All right. So this week in the studio, um, as we kick off the new year, um, it's the first week in January. Um, what uh, we thought we'd go through some of. This. I wanted to ask you what you thought would be the predictions or the New Year's resolutions that we should have as marketers for this year. We've gone through a bunch of uh, predictions before you went away from industry analysts, analysts and yep. influencers. And I'd encourage people to go back to, I don't know, was the it previous episode? Four episodes. And actually, you know, Robert Rose had his predictions, I think, on your last yeah. episode. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've had a lot of predictions. But um, let me, uh, so, and a lot of what we've also talked about throughout the whole of last year was about relationships with existing customers, making sure we have great experience of retaining and growing revenue and uh, the threats from our competitors and market forces. So shall we, and you know what we're like. Um, so if, when I ask you for your New Year's resolution, should we just stick to three? Because we know yes. what we're like with yes. the time. Um, 
and also so we don't overcommit ourselves and get depressed next year when we don't deliver. Once we get to the end of the so, year, we go, oh my God, I didn't, yeah, didn't do that one. Yeah. I didn't do that one. Hmm. So, so three New Year's resolutions of marketing, what say you, Jeff? Well, I thought the thing that uh, tied together, I mean, I kind of went through, you know, back through the, the predictions that we were all, the various people on your podcast were kind of reviewing. And, and one of the themes that, that certainly came through was the, the need to focus on uh, your current customer base uh and and mm-hmm. and you know for a variety of reasons you know protecting your revenue making sure that uh mm-hmm. you know you don't uh, succumb to the threats of your competitors or that certain market forces all of a sudden make you uh uncompetitive yourself and or or un seeming seeming to not care about what your customers are going through and mm-hmm. so i i think that the uh, the 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 first resolution. I mean, I think these three resolutions kind of all tie to the same thing. So I'll kind of you know sum it up at the end. But the first resolution <laughs> is talk to your customers. So mm-hmm. if you don't do so already, uh, and so I'm mm-hmm. I know a number of marketers out there you know may may make this a regular practice. But if you don't meet them one on one, you meet them in person virtually. You know, with a with a significant number amount of time, you know, not just like we're, we're saying hi at the trade show booth and you know talking mm-hmm. about the weather or whatever, but um, the you know the goal is to understand their needs and challenges as deeply as possible because you know mm-hmm. one of the things that we continue to um, harp on in on this podcast is creating needs best <laughs> based relevant you know, uh, content yeah. that, that people yeah. who were intended to be the readers of it, you know, they, they understand mm-hmm. that, okay, you know what I'm trying to, what I'm going through. And you, you, you've mm-hmm. thought about that in creation of your solutions. And I think the challenge is, is, is that you don't want to rely on intermediaries to, you know, to mm-hmm. get this information. Yeah. So, you know, talking yeah. to analysts is great because they talk to your customers, talking to the sales is yeah. great because they talk to your customers, but, you know, unless you actually get in the conversation and start asking probing questions and hearing the way they respond, and then maybe you know voicing it back to them and have them say no, no, well, kind of, but no, I really mean to say mm-hmm. it like this, or we use these words. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know that I mean, just in my own experience, I did a lot of work on writing success stories, reference-based campaigns, sometimes yeah, doing, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, authoring articles for industry magazines where I would, you know, talk about, talk to customers. And that just mm-hmm. was just so helpful for me to do a better job in, you know, creating the communications I had to create. Uh, and, you know, whether I was writing it personally or whether we were creating campaigns and getting a whole team mm-hmm. involved. So, you know, I think that's, it's it's essential, and again, yeah. if you if it's not something you do regularly, uh, you know, make that a part of your practice. And so that might be the resolution for twenty twenty three, but don't forget it for twenty twenty four or twenty five. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so talk to your customers. Yeah, I like the I like the the couple of things you mentioned there. The the one is is understanding their needs, right? And there's nothing better than talking directly to them because everything else you hear through the intermediaries that you discuss, like analysts or sales. They're sort of filtered, aren't they? Yep. Through that, an analyst will have their own perception of where the, the category should be going. A sales guy is going to have their own filter because they're trying to close a deal and also probably trying to protect their own reputation about what's going yep. on. Absolutely. So, so you've got those needs. 
But also what I also quite like there that you mentioned was understanding the language of the industry from the client's perspective, because I think sometimes we get a bit caught up, don't we, in our TLAs and in the way that we talk in, a, in the goldfish bowl with the analysts. Absolutely. And if you sell into multiple markets, you know, you guys start to understand yeah. that, you know, our customers in manufacturing, you know, view it this way, yeah. whereas our same yeah. customers with similar issues that happen to be in yeah. whatever, healthcare or the public sector, you know, yeah. they, they talk about it different. They obviously have different trigger events. Uh, different needs, different, um, you know, and the other thing is different um, buying teams, you know, so, so yeah. you want to understand yeah, what's yeah. gonna, what's the process you go through, you know, who makes the decision, what are the different decision points, you know, and, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's hard to get that. I mean, certainly you'll, you can get a lot of this through third party research or whatever, but, you know, in order for it to really click in your yeah. brain, you need to talk to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that also what you were saying there that, that about the procurement process, because quite often as a vendor, you've been through the procurement process more time than the buyer. Has. Yes. And I remember years ago when I when I was in pre-sales and we, I worked in, gov- in UK government and I, I had that background. So it, well, when I was at a vendor, I was always put into government because I'd, I'd started my career in government. <laughs> um, but, um, and, and I worked with a great sales guy, and he understood government procurement better than the buyer. So he was able to be a subject matter expert simply because he spent so much time talking to customers yep. and understanding that. And I, I think that you can understand that language, the way things work in that organization and stuff. But one of the things I've found sometimes is that um, folks are quite protective about those customer relationships. So you've got your sort of customer success folks, you've got your account managers. They they may not want one of these, you know, um, color, somebody from the colour and in department coming along <laughs> and, and messing up those relationships. So how, what do you recommend? What's I, the action we need to? How 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 do you recommend that we break through that? And actually well, I think you know one is you have to develop the relationship with the the person who's going to introduce you to the customer. <laughs> so, you know, I think yeah. you always uh, you always want to go through wh- whoever is is that has the relationship. You always want to go through them. And and so, yeah. you know, just like, you know, in any exercise, you know, you may you may cast out your request to 10 people and and you may yeah. only be able to get to three customers out of the 10, you yeah. know, 10 sales reps or, or customer service people you talk to. Um, but also, I mean, have a, um, be clear about what it is you're trying to accomplish, uh, mm-hmm. uh, what it is that the, you know, if there's any intended, uh, you know, outcome uh, in terms of like a report or whatever, you know, what, yeah. uh, you know, what, what is that going to be? Um, sometimes mm-hmm. having your questions, well, actually always when I talk to a customer, having your questions, uh, at least the starter questions uh, mm-hmm. laid out so that you can share that both with the salesperson so they understand what you're after and then with the customer itself. Those are all really important things to do. And also you've got to make the commitment that anything that would ever go public uh, has got to get yeah. the customer's sign-off before yeah. um, it yeah. does. Yeah, so building up that trust really, isn't it? Both within the internal stakeholder, absolutely, who's going to take, who's going to make the introduction, and with the customer stuff. All right, so that's great. So your first resolution: talk to our customers. What's your second resolution? Identify your customers' global challenges. Now, this is, I mean, I think Ooh. this is particularly relevant in uh, in twenty twenty three or. Maybe mm-hmm. it was relevant in 2022, might even be relevant next year, but it's like there's just there's so much disrupting um, markets these days, you know, war, mm-hmm. energy prices, supply chain issues, uh, where yeah. people are working, you know, hybrid and office, yeah. deglobalization, extreme weather. Yeah. I mean, it's just like 
It's yeah, like there's yeah. just so much that uh, – and, and one of the things I was thinking is like, well, you know, if you're worried about any of these things, you know your customers are worried about it, and they're thinking yeah. about it. And so, yeah. um, you know, you don't want to – like when you're – if you're either talking or you're – like say you're surveying your customers um, – you don't want to go through the whole laundry list of all of those no. all those issues, but yeah. obviously you can figure what things are are particularly important yeah. to the the, um, the customer, you know. And then maybe it's maybe it's the supply chain issues. So you want to yeah. make sure that's part of your discussion, your conversation you're having with them. Yeah, yeah. Also, you want I think a, an appropriate level of intimacy with some of these things, isn't it? It's you, you don't want to tie your messaging to just newsjacking all the oh, time no. about what's going on. It has to be something that's relevant at that moment with this particular customer yeah. or, with this cu- or, or with this category yeah. or something of like this industry. Yeah. Right? And, the, right. and the thing is that, well, you know, in, in certainly being in the technology world, I mean, we're mm. often, you know, having themes that relate to, you know, doing more with less or reducing mm. costs or helping the customer mm. with the relationship with their customer, you know, all these things that are, mm. that, that, uh, in these times, uh, you know, become mm. important and you don't want to just, you know, you don't always just want to say, do more with less, do more, with, you know, something that's kind of yeah. can, but so that's why yeah. having that conversation with them is, uh, yeah. is, is helpful to understand <laughs> how they, how they view it in their market. And, you know, one of the things I think that could come out of this is that, you know, if you if you survey your customers, uh, you know, create a internal report about what you're finding. Mm. Uh, and, mm. and if it's really good and you find something that's really insightful yeah. that the other rest of the world should know about, then create an external piece of content or a series of, of uh, content that, yeah. you know, blogs, et cetera, that cover these issues. Um yeah, because the more you can identify with and empathize with mm. their challenges, the more that they'll trust you to be the one who provides the solution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, way at the beginning, uh, when before COVID, when COVID was starting to hit, I did some work with a vendor around that stuff, um, and you know, it had a direct, you know, how exactly as you say, how is the changes the way that people are going to work? going to change the way they they interact with enterprise software what are the challenges for it departments to enable them you know we know the answers to all those things now but back then yeah that was the kind of research that we oh, were absolutely. doing and then kind of sharing that and like you say it started off as an internal project to think about our messaging to, it then became something that we wanted to share with our customers and prospects so i think that that's that's really interesting and and i think when we talk about needs the, the, there's there's a general i mean generally we tend to focus on the very specific job need that the job to be done or whatever that we're most associated with in, in b2b with them but i do think that there's an idea that we should look at the broader context yes. right, of what their pressures might be as i don't know if you're a mid mid-level marketer what else is going on in your life what else is gonna you know where are you trying to get to what other things have you got on your plate i think i think thought, thinking a bit broader I mean, I know that your resolution here is identify your customers' global challenges, yeah. but I think identifying your customers' challenges in general is a good practice. And, and, but also, it, it's like, I mean, you may, you may be running a campaign about a particular need mm-hmm. that has to do with reducing yeah. costs or whatever. And then the thing yeah. is that when you, when you enter a period like we've been through in the last couple of years yeah. where there's all these various disruptions, you can, you, you yeah. can basically take that same need and put it in the current context so that's refreshing mm-hmm. your campaign message and you're not just sort of like relying on what you've been saying the previous yeah. years. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and uh, yes, and I think, and um, 
I, th- I, had a, I had a point there. It just went out of my head. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'm, I'm obviously not used to being in the studio here with you. <laughs> right but yeah, but, uh, but, I, think, <laughs> but, oh, I know what I was going to say. I think it's, the, it's gr- uh, the groupies are, uh, <laughs> are drawing your attention away yeah, from... <laughs> you uh, are seven groupies. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the, um, the Christmas elves, aren't they, with yes. you, Santa? But anyway, that, <laughs> the, um, uh, just to say that uh, Jeff made a reference to himself being called Santa. I did not just call him Santa. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, <laughs> but I think it's the relevance, isn't it? It's 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 being able to connect yourself with whatever's going on, not just sort of newsjacking it. And then I really like this idea that if you then look at some of your old messaging, where you are talking about like doing more with less, yeah, that um, that, that you do that. And and so it also doesn't mean that we just start every piece of marketing with in these unprecedented yeah. times. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. So Always I, a good leader. I made a bit of a hash of that. But let's there, say, um, so number, resolution number one, talk to your customers. Resolution number two, identify your customers' global challenges. What's your third resolution? Be kind to your customers. Of course. Wow, you're really thinking about these guys. Yeah, and, well, and this is, uh, you know, obviously it's always nice to be kind to uh, the, you know, <laughs> the customer. Um, but, but I mean, yeah. I think the, I mean, this really translates into providing really good experiences. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the things that, that I think popped up in a number of the predictions was, um, you know, the fact that, you know, surveys of customers about their experiences continue to show that companies don't meet expectations and they show mm-hmm. that the companies do not have the skills required to provide those great experiences. Right. And, right. and I mean, this is like, this has been the news, I, I don't know, at least for least for the last eight years or 10, maybe 10 years where customer experience has been, you know, kind of a, a you know, a, a yeah. perennial topic. And, um, and so I think if, if this is in fact, what's happening in your organization, then, you know, if you're not the, whatever the one or number one or two rated in customer experience and NPS scores in your market, <laughs> you know, then it's time yeah. to, for marketing to take responsibility and, yeah. you know, really to, if if there is not currently a cross-functional customer experience team, create one. If it doesn't have executive support, get it executive support. If 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 the skills are not in the organization, well then go through the exercise of doing a skills gap analysis. There's a lot of organizations out there that that can help you with that. I know where I used to work at Forrester and Serious Decisions. You know we used yeah. to help companies do do that kind of thing. And, yeah. and, you know, understand where the, where the issues are, you know, is it with your analysis and your analytics tools or the staff? Mm-hmm. Is it with um, the people that actually design uh, digital experiences UI? Is it actually with uh, the technology itself, you know, that, that that's behind any of your yeah. interactions, you know, so where, where is the gap? And um, so yeah. you can create a roadmap as how to address it and, and not that you're going to yeah. be able to solve all of the issues this year, mm-hmm. but, you know, put yourself on the path where you can do that. And I used to, I remember when, you know, I was working at a company for which being a leader in customer experience was one of the, mm-hmm. you know, the messages. Yeah. Uh, and yet, yeah. and as we were developing a customer ad- advocacy program and, you know, we would talk to mm-hmm. customers who'd say, you know, I love the product, but do you realize <laughs> what I had to go through with that last upgrade or when I called support yeah. or, you know, yeah. Yeah. whatever, whatever, whatever. And, and so, yeah. uh, you know, you want to be, I think you want to be the advocate, you know, so right. you, so, so being, this is yeah. one of the things you kind of 
yeah. mentioned, I think, on our first point is that, you know, sales has yeah. their particular perspective. Um, you know, it might yeah. be siloed because they're looking at a particular set of customers mm-hmm. or support has this perspective, but they're hearing all the bad stuff. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you're in a position of actually providing a better comprehensive view of what's going on with the customer experience and how to fix it. I think it's interesting because basically your resolution is marketing step up and take responsibility for the customer experience, yeah. right? <laughs> now. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So those are your three resolutions. Yeah. Uh, talk to your customers, identify your customers' global challenges and be kind to your customers or basically step up and own the experience. Right? Yeah. And I, I, I think... I'm not, oh, there's an overall theme here. Yeah. I, 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 I threw in, a, you know, because I think the, as I sort of set up at the beginning, I mean, they kind of tie back to the thing is that you're developing the ability to empathize with your customers yeah. and to be the, yeah. you know, their internal advocate. Uh, yeah. And not only is that good, you know, it's just good practice, but it also makes you as a marketer indispensable as a to the business right. because no right. um, no chatbot or uh, you know AI <laughs> content creation tool is going to replace your ability to empathize with a customer. I don't think oh, no, not no. yet. <laughs> I thought we might go have left side without talking about chat GPT. But okay. <laughs> so that's the overall theme, and then so the final uh, agenda item for today is what song are we going for this week, Jeff, to kick off the new year? Well, there's a song, uh, mm-hmm. surprisingly, it's called New Year's Day by a <laughs> group called U2 uh, back in them. 1983, <laughs> so um, not quite 40 years ago, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but it is, uh, any, you know, I mean, it's a, it is a great yeah. tune, um, you know, classic yeah. tune, um, and it, you know, they make the statement, I will be with you again. You know, nothing changes on New York Day, New Year's Day. So, you know, we talk about all these predictions and yet, you know what, yeah. this really just, this means going back, doing the basics, stepping up, doing our job, understanding the customer. So here we go. Yeah, nice. I like it. So these are just resolutions to live by rather than just New Year's resolutions. Absolutely. All right, mate. Well, I'll play out with uh, New Year's Day by YouTube from 1983. And uh, are you done with your holidays? Will I see I'm, you in the studio next week? I'm so done. Back to work. <laughs> All right, mate. I'll see you next week. See ya. Cheers. All is quiet on New Year's Day. The world is wild. It's on the way. I want to be with you, be with you night and day. Nothing Thank you, Jeff. And that was, of course, you two with New Year's Day from 1983. Splendid to have him and his music back. And if you could use a bit of that big analyst grade advice in 2023, give him a shout. I'll include all of Jeff's links in the show notes. Right. Time to go backstage with my guest. Matt Bailey is the founder of SiteLogic, teaching digital marketing to the world's biggest brands and most prestigious universities. Matt has been doing this digital marketing thing since 1996, working at brands, agencies and started in SiteLogic in 2006, originally as a digital marketing services agency, but pivoted to training in 2015. Matt is now an in-demand trainer working with clients that include Microsoft, HP, Comcast, Target and Nationwide and his digital marketing curriculum is used at several US universities including Duke, Purdue and Rutgers and you can find his courses on LinkedIn Learning, Udemy, Simply Learn and Udacity. 
And if that wasn't enough, he's the author of three books. It was fab to spend some time with Matt. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Matt, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Ian. How are you doing today? And by the way, thank you. I appreciate the uh, invitation. No, you're very welcome. Um, and uh, for people, well, I mean, we're both members of the Marketing Podcast Network, so we kind of know each other from that. And I know you from listening to your podcast, which we'll get to in a moment. But for folks that haven't come across you before, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself. I have been in digital marketing now for, I hesitate to say, over 25 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so uh, I, I will get in, you know, probably get into why I got started building websites. Uh, mm -hmm. From there, I got really interested, so I wanted to learn how do things work. I went to a brand, worked a little bit more on the technical side, uh, learning servers and building applications. Mm -hmm. Then I went to the agency world and absolutely loved it, and yeah. to the point where I started my own agency around mm -hmm. 2006. And then in 2015, I was doing so much training, even while owning the agency, mm -hmm. I was training for other organizations, I was training my employees, I was training clients, mm -hmm. and it just got to the point where, you know, so I sold off the client services, yeah. I went back to school and got a master's degree in education, yeah. and since then, it's just been an incredible ride. Um, I've developed training content for Microsoft, uh, for Orange. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, the Direct Marketing Association. It, it's wow. it, it's just really gone crazy because yeah. the the hunger for education is real. Yeah, yeah. And your agency is called Site Logic. Is that now your primary focus? Just all education with Site Logic. It is. Um, yeah. So I teach in person, teach mm -hmm. online, and I also have an online component where people can do self paced, coached training which is so critically important. I don't believe people learn by watching hundreds of hours of video. <laughs> so that that's that's where I focus a lot of my time is is now building yeah. that online training component. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got my marketing education from books, which you, you can see behind me, the listeners can't. And, and that was that was really how I did it because I started right? my career as like sysadmin and techie and then educated <laughs> myself into marketing. So I didn't have somebody like you. I had a couple of mentors, but I've mostly done it from books. So what inspired but, yeah. your first marketing role when you did when you did that first kicking off and you were building website? What inspired that? Uh so I was in real estate. I was in sales. For some mm -hmm. reason, I, maybe my personality, people always pushed me into the sales role. Yeah. And uh, I could go into that. But the fun part <laughs> is learning about people. Um, yeah. Now, I was also interested in the Internet that back, you know, and this is mid 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, seeing it come around, I was uh, I was in the military prior. And so I used ARPANET. We used mm -hmm. the green screen. And so I was very familiar with it. But now going into the civilian world, I got into real estate and I realized I've got commercial properties to sell and the local methods were not good enough. Mm -hmm. I could put it into a newspaper. I could put it into a magazine, which cost $10,000 for a color ad. Mm -hmm. uh, I could put it in the local listings, but I'm selling commercial office space. Mm -hmm. I'm selling hotels. I'm selling things yeah. that I need a national or international audience. And so I said, this is a great opportunity. Let's build a website. I talked mm -hmm. to a few other people that had done that and it just went crazy. Mm -hmm. I was getting leads from all over the world on so many different properties and it changed 
how I viewed everything because yeah. now I'm sitting behind a desk doing what I was, you know, I'd have to go drive, have to do go yeah. showings. And now I'm sitting behind a desk doing it, but also I'm learning how to build a website, market a website, get rankings. Ah, you, yeah. you know, all, but then as you're learning it, it's a whole new world. And yeah. so that, that was the, the process. Um, yeah. what really changed things is, you know, and you know this, when you're building your own thing, I'm sitting down one night and I have two hours, two hours before my wife says, I'm, I have to stop and, <laughs> and come upstairs and join the world. <laughs> and I asked myself, okay, in this two hours, what's the most profitable thing that I can do? Mm-hmm. And I did not have an answer for that. Uh, you know, is it add more properties? Is it follow up on calls? What, what mm-hmm. is it? And that's when I realized I need to learn analytics. Yeah. I, I need to learn this. And so, as I applied that, and this was a months long process to learn, what do I need to track? How mm-hmm. do I track it? How do I connect the dots? When I did, it blew my mind because right. 80% of my leads were coming from search. Mm-hmm. Wow. Amazing. Okay. Search is great. Yeah. However, it only produced 10% of my sales. The, and right. this was the 80 20 rule. The 10% mm-hmm. of leads came from PR. They came from ads. They came from content that I was publishing. It was content marketing, but I was publishing articles on other people's websites, how-to articles. Mm -hmm. And those brought buyers. Mm -hmm. So that 10% of leads came, produced 80% of sales, completely changed how I saw everything. And what it taught me is asking the right question is everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. If I, if my question was visits, Mm -hmm. I would have focused on the wrong thing. If my question was leads, even, I would have focused on search, which would have been great, and I still would have made money, Mm. but not as much. Remember, the question was profitability. Mm -hmm. And so to answer that, I I had to create and measure an entire process to answer my objective. And that's what changed my entire viewpoint and gave me this passion that I love this stuff. Oh, yeah, that's uh, so. What is it you fell in love with there? Was that that analytics and the fact that you could now make marketing predictable, or was it the fact that you understood it and the thing you loved was like writing those how tos and doing the craft? Which was the which wow. was it the whole thing? It was the whole thing. It, yeah, it, yeah. To me, it was like finishing the circle. Mm. Um, and, and and I had one of my analysts do this once. Uh, it, actually, one of the best hires I ever made. Mm-hmm. I, I gave him a project. He worked through it, and he came into my office. He goes, "So what now? How do I know it worked?" Yeah. yeah. And that's that you finish the circle. And, and yeah. I think that's what makes the whole thing rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like what you discovered there, because so many times in marketing, we focus on the wrong number, as you pointed out. And the thing is, is exactly the same way as you find with sales guys, with uh, with us marketers, with our numbers, you get the behavior you measure. Right. And so, mm-hmm. if, so if we lean too far into one of those vanity metrics, OK, so all of your marketing is now going to be devoted to better performing where we're already performing and completely missing that other stuff. I also yeah. like the fact that that must have been quite an early realization about the power of content marketing. I mean, was it even called content marketing when you were doing that? It was it, it was called giving people what they want. Um, (laughs) You know, we learned this. So I'm trying to think Mm -hmm. which, I think it was the 2000 Olympics. One of my employees. So when I had an employee, one of the first things they had to do was build a website. Mm -hmm. Then they had to make money with it. Mm -hmm. That was your two goals for the first six months. Um, 
one of my first hires, she created a website. She was into horses and equestrian, and mm. she had a question about, well, when are the horse events, what are the equestrian events during the Olympics? Mm. It was nowhere. She could not find anything. So she called uh, the equestrian, I don't know, whatever the, the body is, yeah, yeah. got the event schedule, and then they gave her the television schedule for different countries. Mm-hmm. She published it on a three-month-old website. which then rocketed to the top of the rankings over the next six weeks. Yeah. And so, you know, was that content mark that was giving people what they want? Yeah. That that was what it, what we just called it. And again, you know, it was another lesson that if the content doesn't exist and you give it, it's going to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. They ask you answer, isn't it? Well, what, what, um, what do you, do you think there's still that opportunity now? I mean, it's always lovely when we talk about the old Wild West or the, the, the <laughs> you know, the forming of all, all of this. And, and, and there were some really quick wins and really, do you, th- do you think right. those rules still apply today? Have you seen similar success where people have found that niche, found that piece of content that's, that's really driven performance like that? I think it's a bit more saturated, as mm. you mentioned. It, it is. However, what I think we've seen, what the change has been is early days, everyone was self-taught. Yes. And so we all had side projects. We had <laughs> things that we were working on, on ourselves. I yeah. don't see that happening a lot today. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that gets to the where we are in marketing education. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. We've got a lot of book knowledge. Yeah. Don't have practical knowledge. Yeah. It's funny, I had a, and, and that was, you know, that's the, my next question where I was going to get to about marketing education. But I've, I've had a similar conversation. I've had a conversation with a university professor here who was, who was aware that what they're teaching within the university is they need to get real life people, you know, practitioners like us who are out there in the world in to talk to these students. And I think, I think that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Do you also think that, um, do, you, do you think the side hustle thing is about the fact that Often, in a, particularly in large marketing organisations, you as a marketer perform one functional role, right? Whereas if you do, mm-hmm. if you do have a side hustle or you do do consulting with smaller organisations, you get to see a bit of a bigger picture and you get to see the results. Is that what you mean by the fact that side hustles are important? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing: you, people coming out of university, mm. very little practical. They yeah. they get the book, they get yeah. a little theory, but the problem is theory doesn't it once you hit you know someone's going to tell you to set up a google ads campaign uh you know you're either ready for that or you're not and if that wasn't taught you're out of luck um and 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 also so that's the undergrad education we also have people that have been in marketing let's say two to eight years Mm mm-hmm they come from widely different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I came from journalism. I, you know, I know someone who's in rocket science and they're in marketing now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got a lot of people from widely different backgrounds, widely different experiences. And, and, you know, how do you bring this all together into yeah. some measurable form of, I know that I know mm-hmm. <laughs> this aspect of it and I have an expert level or an intermediate people self-assess all the time and it's usually wrong (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i like i I also i like what you're saying there about getting practical knowledge regardless of where you are in marketing because like you say i think there's probably i've i've known cmos that basically outsource everything to the agency and if you were to ask them to do anything like any of the practical things 
they might struggle because they have they are not suggesting that every CMO need to know how to create a Google ads campaign, but you need to be an intelligent client to your agency or to your or to the folks that can do this. Right. So you can talk about those concepts. And I think some like you say, yeah. some of that gets lost, doesn't it? Um Absolutely. It's, you know, I'll start just a couple of things, especially with CMOs. One couple of the classes I developed for some brands were how to communicate better to your agency. Yeah. Yeah. And it had everything to do with number one. Do you even know the terminology? Yeah. Um, You know, great example. In all of my training, I ask people, I give them options. What's an impression? Mm. (laughs) What's a video view? And every time I'll, I'll do it with a team of 20 or 30. Yeah. You get answers everywhere. And yeah. so right away I'm saying, well, if if we can't agree on what an impression <laughs> is or what a video view is, yeah. then you're all speaking the same different languages. Yeah. And this is going to cost you if you yeah. don't know what you're buying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also um, even within your own teams. I mean, I, I'm a CMO of a group of companies. And we need to align on what do you call a, a, a lead? What do you call an MQL? Mm-hmm. What do you know? Oh. What, what are these terms that, so that when, when you're looking across the company, everybody's talking with the same voice. It's not just like the CMO to their agency. It can also be internal as well. So let's yep. get back to this teaching marketing. I'm really interested in this. Um, yeah. it's a popular topic. Actually, we've touched on this a few times on, on the podcast about marketing education. And also you see a lot of this sort of conversation with the, Mark Ritson's of the world, for example. Who oh, yeah. Much more, I mean, he's a, he obviously is an advocate for education because he does his mini yes. MBA. What's your view on that? What do you, what do you, <laughs> a couple of questions there. What do you think is the state of marketing education? Like, do you think that, do you think that, that, that marketing education is good? Formal marketing education is good. And what, what's, your, mm-hmm. what's your general view on this stuff? Um, so I feel greatly equipped to do marketing with a journalism background mm-hmm. because I love the content side. Yeah. Um, I taught myself analytics. I mm. taught myself a bit of programming. So that is where I, I feel equipped. Now I, I, I love Mark Ritson. I love his, I, I, I do say, yes, you do need to have an understanding of the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. I, I am a firm believer in the four P's. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because when I set up my own, product when i set up my my online marketing course mm-hmm. price product position you know i went yeah. through those things because yeah. that that will never change those things will never change but they are more of the philosophical side mm-hmm. so anytime you get a degree in marketing what you're getting a degree in is how do people think how do we approach this mm-hmm. uh you know what are some of the frameworks and that's really good to have mm-hmm doesn't cover the tactics and that's what yeah. digital marketing is a tactic yeah in marketing you're going to learn sort of an omni-channel how to view people how to persuade them digital marketing is tactical and so we aren't teaching it now and there's a, a great variation in tactics yeah understanding the digital advertising landscape is an amazing tactic to have mm-hmm. understanding how to set up uh, a TikTok campaign that you may you may not have to memorize that okay <laughs> but if you know if you know the essential foundations of setting up an ad campaign yeah. it doesn't matter what channel it is yeah they each have their nuances but you're doing basically the same thing yeah so that's where i see the state of marketing education right now especially in digital it is so focused on platform specific 
mm-hmm. application, mm-hmm. platform-specific tactics. Yeah. And the problem is we're creating specialists in extreme tactics. And what happens yeah. when Twitter finally goes away? Where's yeah, your job? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would have hate to have been, uh, you know, the MySpace director, uh, you know, <laughs> the director of MySpace. And, uh, you know, yeah. it, it's yeah, yeah. how now transferable is your skill well, to say, the next channel? Yeah, absolutely. And also, if you're that focused, then every uh, every problem is, is a nail to your hammer, right? Is that you're going to mm-hmm. go, oh, well, the solution to that is uh, LinkedIn ads, let's say, if that's your speciality, yeah. right? So I think that's that's really interesting. So you, th- from your perspective is there should be a fundamental core, like marketing and understanding of how, you know, who, who you're selling to, establishing those campaigns, all that kind of stuff, and the four Ps and right. things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all undergirded by analytics. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, of course, I'm going to go back to that. But, yeah, yeah. You, you know, even people enroll and, and I see this all the time. They yeah. they do what the people before them did. Yes. Uh, they yeah. create the same reports. They they do the same things. And, it, you know, when I ask yeah. people, what's your five biggest problems or questions about analytics? They're usually yeah. the same questions, regardless of the organization. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it, a lot of it, I know that it's a bit hackneyed to talk about why, but a lot of it is why. I mean, a lot of it is when you when you see some of these things that are being done and have always been done, it's like, why are you doing that? Who's it for? <laughs> Who cares? You know, and all those kind of questions. I think it's really good. Anyway, I want to get onto your podcast. Um, yeah. I do. I, I think there are a couple of rabbit holes there I'd like to have carried on discussing. Actually, I mean, marketing education is such a good topic. But you have your own podcast, The Endless Coffee Cup, which is Yes, that's a fantastic title anyway, right? As uh, listeners, you can't see, you just took a big swig of coffee. So that's fantastic. <laughs> and it's part of the Marketing Podcast Network, same as, same as us. Tell us about yes. your podcast. The podcast was developed as a way to stay in touch with students. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got students from all over the world. Uh, I, I, I think I've counted up now that I have reached over a million learners wow. uh, from the different educational uh paths that I've I've run and so mm-hmm. it was a way to stay in touch and, and and as people contacted me on LinkedIn it was a, it was a great way to say you know what go subscribe to the podcast and let's yeah. let's stay in touch yeah. that's how it started and it, it's really because of the pandemic it's evolved into I'm going to interview smart people people that I've known for years that are yeah. specialists that are experts I'm going to learn something yes. and, and all it, it's, it's a conversation over coffee because, well, you know, this, when you went to a conference, yeah. where was the best information <laughs> shared? Absolutely. It wasn't in the session. <laughs> it was in, it was, you know, getting drinks afterwards. It was yeah. in the hallway. So that, that's the whole uh, idea behind the, I mean, the podcast. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a good listen. And I recommend, I'm always recommending other podcasts on this podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully, hopefully listener, you have time for me and for, and for Matt. I do recommend listening to Rockstar CMO <laughs> highly, highly because Ian is engaging and you'll always get some really good information that you can implement. So, <laughs> all right. I, I, thank you very much, Ray. I got like, a couple of things, uh, a couple of last questions. First, Firstly, yep. uh, this episode is going out at the beginning of uh, 2023. Uh, what's, mm-hmm. what's, what, are you, what are you looking at? What's your prediction for, for this year in marketing? I hope to predict the end of the tech bubble. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> um, but my fear is we're just at the beginning mm, yeah. of this overhyped tech bubble. And right. anytime the markets get involved in something, it seems to poison it. Yeah, and right. that's t- if you look at the 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 history of 
digital, not just mm-hmm. the history of digital marketing. Mm-hmm. The history of digital is whenever the markets get involved, not good things happen. So I, I unfortunately, <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at for the prediction. I, I hate to be dire, but... Oof. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's stick to the dire theme then and, and go to my <laughs> final question. We have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Soon Pool, where we throw all the bullshit snake on and overhype trends that plague this industry we love. What would you chuck love into it. the pool, Matt? Love it. Clickbait. Without a question, <laughs> clickbait. Yeah. Not, and not just the, the lazy, crappy clickbait. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about clickbait in mainstream journalism, industry yes. news, yeah. uh, financial news, things that... When people make predictions about AI, but they don't know anything about AI, um, <laughs> oh, anything that <laughs> anything that drives clicks, yeah. uh, uh, clickbait is ah. Love there's it. one thing; it would be that. What a perfect thing to throw in the pool! I love it. And so, uh, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? They'll find me at sitelogic.com, S I T E, and that is really the the central hub for the podcast, the the learning courses. Uh, as well as anywhere to contact me. Splendid. I'll include all those links in the show notes. Thank you very much, Matt. And I look forward to speaking to you soon as we're part of the network together and I'm sure we'll chat soon. Absolutely, Ian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Matt. Marketing education is a perennial topic around here. Splendid to get his opinion. I will, of course, include all of Matt's links in the show notes. Right, time to welcome in the new year in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar as I catch up with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, over a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. Happy New Year. What are you drinking? Oh, happy New Year, my friend. Welcome to the bar. The first uh the first of our virtual bars for twenty twenty three. It's Yes. It's sir. lovely. Um here we are, New Year, twenty twenty three. Do you are you feeling positive about the new year or, or are you okay. feeling glum about the new year? I'm feeling um positive, I think. Uh because uh, it can't get any worse. No, <laughs> because um, I think you and I were talking about this last week uh, when you, we were talking about predictions. And one would like to think that, yes, we probably will have a difficult Q1 in terms of economy and all that kind of stuff. But things have got to get better, right? So I'm, I'm in the camp of things are going to get better. I'm 100% with you. I, yeah. I think it's going to be, I think if we... Uh, well, Joe on our other podcast said mm-hmm. this. I think he said this really well, where he said, "You know, we may already be, yes, have been in the recessionary part, and we may be already on our way out of it." Yes. And I think yeah. what we're feeling now is sort of the pains of exiting versus the pains of entering. Yeah. So yeah. that may be, and I hope so. I mean, we'll see what happens with the tech sector because I think the tech sector yeah. is, and that's one where we focus so much it yeah. gets a lot of attention and rightly so because it's such a high percentage of everything from the stock market yeah. to to our lives we see the tech sector sort of representative of the entire economy but of course it's not um yeah. and so it's getting hit a lot harder so it the yeah. the perceived pain may be actually higher than the actual pain so it'll it'll be interesting to see how retail and travel and all of those yeah. things home prices car prices fuel prices all yeah. start to all start to rebound or not in the next I, you know four or five months 
Yeah, and it does seem a bit like, um, you know, some of these companies are a little bit inflated, uh, and um, and Elon with his Twitter stuff just sort of clicked the dominoes, didn't he? And it, it just it gave everybody an excuse that oh, we better re- right size our business as well. And you know, how, and I hate that so much. I that yeah. that he's getting all of this press <laughs> where CEOs in the tech sector are now looking at this as a template, right? That, you know, (laughs) somehow he's a genius for figuring out the tech companies were bloated, right? (laughs) Come on. This is not it, which makes it sound like it's not senior leadership's fault. You know what I mean? For all these tech companies that are now looking at their staffs and saying, Oh, if Twitter can cut, 40% 40% of its 50% of its staff, we probably can too, and still get away with it. And let's see if yeah. how many we can cut before we start breaking things. And that becomes the modus operandi for all of these tech venture backed companies. And somehow that's seen as a smart strategy when in actuality, it's your own greed and avarice <laughs> that yeah. you overhired in the first place. Yeah. And well, that's the- it's the maturity thing as well, isn't it? These companies are no longer the, the fast growing kids that need all this fuel. They they they've kind of they they've they've grown, right? And they're hitting middle age and they, they you can't feed them more. <laughs> well it's fat. hubris, right? I mean it's yeah. it's hubris in a in a certain way because yeah. how many the funny thing is we used to get we used to get railed on this all of the time by our venture firm. This is going back twenty years now when I yeah. was a uh, CMO of a startup company. Yeah. And when people would say, how big are you? Right. And you would want to inflate those numbers as much as possible. So you <laughs> want to say you had as many employees as you can. Yeah. And yeah. what you're actually saying in, by, by judging yourself by how many employees you have is not how big you are, but how, how much you're hiring. And it's representative. It, you, you think it's representative of a, of a way to disclose your revenue without disclosing your revenue. But what you're really just doing is just bragging about something that has no, (laughs) has no meaningful impact on whether you're a successful company or not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, so so we're off on a tight tangent and I haven't even gotten to our drink yet. Um, (laughs) So we have a wonderful drink for the, for the new year. Mm. Uh, We're going classic old style here. Uh, because you know how much I love uh, Manhattans, and oh, yes. the what we're going to do. Uh, and over the break, I experimented uh, with mm-hmm. a number of different Manhattans. And yes. uh, typically, when you make a Manhattan, you add, of course, you start with bourbon, uh, mm-hmm. and then you add a little sweet vermouth, and you add a little bitters, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then of course, if you've got them hanging around, which I'm sure you do in your well-stocked car, brandied cherry or a lemon twist or uh, something like that. Now yeah. I found, which is interesting in my experimentation, and boy, did I experiment mm. over the holiday. <laughs> um, I started experimenting with a Manhattan made with rye whiskey, which I find oh. better. So wow. it's a little subtle difference, mm. but it is different. So a rye whiskey I'm finding is lovely with mm-hmm. a, uh, wonderful Manhattan. And then of course you add your one part to two. So two parts, rye whiskey, one part, sweet vermouth, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of Angostura 
bitters, the orange bitters, and then a brandy. Again, if you have one, if not, just garnish as you like. Shake and uh, over ice and then pour, of course, with no rocks is the way we have our lovely Manhattan in either a martini glass or something lovely in the color is, of course, perfect. And it's just a great it's a great classic drink to start the new year off with something truly classic. Wonderful. Yes. Well, I'm going to um, I'm going to try and attempt to make that very classic drink with only the ingredients on my desktop bar. Um, so I I love a bit of bourbon and a bit. Of, like, and for those doubting, right we're going to continue this joke well into the new year as well. It's this mm. is you'd think, wouldn't you? You'd think we we I'd, I'd think of something new. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I'm going to go with the most Scottish of um, of of rye whiskies, and everybody knows that that's obviously Hendrix Gin. So I'm going. That's to, right. I'm going to go for a bit of that, a little bit of Hendrix Gin. Oh, and I put some, while you weren't watching, I put some ice in my glass. Because mm. <laughs> you said no rocks, I thought, oh, I'll better sneak those in. And then, uh, instead of uh, that wonderful sweet vermouth, the lovely people over at Fever Tree have, have, um, have provided me with, um, with something that's very equivalent, which of course is uh, tonic water with a little bit of I cucumber see. in it instead of that twisted lemon that you had. Because everybody knows... There's a sweetness to that. Yeah, but everybody knows cucumber is the most English of lemons. Uh, yes. I'll give this a try. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That's delicious, Robert. Lovely way to do start Do you not ever squeeze a lemon into your gin and tonic? Oh, I do all sorts of things with, with uh, gin and tonics. I just don't do them when when <laughs> when I'm sitting at my desk. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I, my, I am actually a fan of the cucumber, um, and I will put a cucumber, a bit of cucumber, into my into my gin and tonic mostly. Um, but when I have, I have, di- you, well, you've seen me drink different gin and tonics when we when we've been out. Um, so yes. I do sometimes have a bit of lemon in it or whatever the barman sees fit. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> not everybody's got the cucumber fever tree that i prefer that's true I really ought to, that's true I really ought to get sponsored. not everybody is as well stocked in their desktop bar as you are <laughs> that's so true that's so true well until we can think of another joke i am looking forward to enjoying these every week <laughs> yes uh so uh where are we going to be sipping these robert <clears throat> you know i think we need to go somewhere warm it's been cold mm-hmm. and rainy here in california yeah. and i'm and and if i saw if that. my gut instinct tells me anything i'm sure it's been cold and gray and rainy there um how did you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just guessing um <laughs> as one does about the, uh-huh. the 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 greater london weather um so i'm thinking we need to go to mexico for this oh, nice. um, and i know it's a little weird to have manhattans while we're in mexico but there is a place uh, Playa del Carmen is the name of it, and it's a wonderful beach town community in Mexico, which in this time of year is absolutely spectacularly tropical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we could sit and on the beach, tickle our toes in the sand, and I, I don't know why we'd be drinking Manhattans per se, but it's, it seems like a place to go when it's <laughs> kind of dreary outside. Yeah. Because it's too fucking cold in Manhattan at the moment, probably. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. I'm not going there. They've had more snow and more crappy weather. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then, so we're slipping these Manhattans in the in the rather peculiar environment of uh, of Mexico. What's um, and the conversation turns to marketing because we pretty much exhausted everything else. Uh, what are we going to be talking about this week, Robert? Well, we're not going to talk about marketing this week, but we are going to talk oh. about 2023. I, I, what I thought we'd talk about, since uh-huh. it is the beginning of the new year, is so. Are you one of those kind of people who make resolutions? Do you set a word for your intention? What do you What do you do for for your um, for your New Year uh, objectives? I haven't done anything like that this year, to be honest with you. I, I do sometimes, and and I also often listen to you talking about goals and 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 set myself a goal that really I should think about my goals, but I yeah. haven't done anything like that this year. It sort of crept up on me, I think. But yeah. So- well, oh, so what I do, and this is something that we can yeah. chat about, is I usually mm-hmm. set a word, uh, a single Ooh. word yeah. that is the foundation of all of the goals or intentions. I like to call them mm-hmm. intentions rather than goals, um, rather because they're not. I don't make them specific, but I make them what I intend to want to accomplish by the end of the year. Um, but the foundational thing comes in a word, and I try and choose a word each year, which I've been doing for the last. I don't know, 20 years or so. And it's worked very well for me. And there's other elements of this as well. Chris Brogan has, of course, his three words and there are people who choose five words. And, but I thought I like settling in on one word and, and my word uh, for 2023 is balance. But interestingly, um, and it came out of funny enough, a conversation I had with a tech startup CEO (laughs) Um, and it, it, it goes back to, uh, this idea of, of thinking about balance in a slightly different way. When I think of balance, you know, when you look up balance in the dictionary, it's, it's about evenness, right? Distributing weight evenly so that you remain upright. So you, when you think of balance, (laughs) you think of a scale, right? With two equal weights providing, you know, symmetry and, and when you think about work-life balance or resource balance, or even our balance sheet in our business, you start to think it's about adding or removing different things to equalize everything. And that's what we think about typically when we think of balance is to say, here, I'm going to remove this activity so that I can make room for that activity. In other words, I'm going to not do this thing so that I can make room in my life to do that other thing that I want to do or um, focus on or, or, or those kinds of things. And mine's a little different. What, what I mean by balance for my particular word and what came out of this conversation I had with this tech CEO was the second definition of balance, which typically means proportions. In other words, you can balance something, but one, the weight in one hand is, is, is greater than the weight in the other hand. But there's a reason for that. And so you're uh, balancing things not based on equality, but based on how or why you want to do something else. Mm-hmm. And uh, it comes all back to this idea of looking at not just the activities or the things that I want to do in terms of my life or my goals or my intentions, but how I do them. In other words, I want to create more meaning for those activities and balance the different meanings behind those activities rather than the activities themselves. Uh, okay. One of the things that I, 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 I uh, it's interesting because I, I, I talked like, like I mentioned, I had talked to this, this CEO mm-hmm. of this uh, tech company and he it's venture based um, very much like we were just talking about at the top yeah. of the show and they're looking to grow quickly 
and they're frustrated. But his frustration isn't because of the usual challenge of saying, oh, how am I going to grow the company or make money or do those kinds of things? The reason he started the company was because he wanted to change the industry. He wanted to really do something impactful and meaningful (laughs) in the world of content and journalism and marketing. And he said, the interesting thing is he said, I'm not worried or frustrated that I can't make money. He's like, I can make money. I can build this business and make money. He said, but increasingly I'm starting to see myself separate from the business. And like I'm polishing some separate rock instead of feeding my passion, which was changing an industry. Mm -hmm. So we're increasingly doing things like we're building products that will make more, you know, designed to make more money Mm -hmm. or to sell Mm -hmm. more or to satisfy some growth metric rather than the things that I think are truly meaningful Mm -hmm. and change and innovative for changing the industry. And that to me was interesting because I said, well, that's, that's a question of balance really. It's how are you not just balancing what you're doing, the activities that you're doing, growth activities, sales activities, it's rebalancing why and how you do them. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I found myself asking him was, how do you start to allow yourself to balance the right mindset to create more satisfaction in your life, your job, your company, rather than more growth? Right. And I found myself asking myself the same question. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow, this is really good for me as well. Yeah, because yeah. when I've looked at things, if I push harder or if I sell more, or if I write more thought leadership, or if I say no to more things, I've convinced (laughs) myself that I'll get better results. But in many times, I find that that's not what makes things better, Mm -hmm. even though I still do all those things. But if I approach them with a different balance of my intention or the meaning that I want out of them, they tend to take care of themselves. The other parts of it tends to take care of itself, the rebalancing, the number of meetings I have, the amount I travel, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's why how I came to the word balance. And it was, it's a really interesting thing I think for all of us to look at in this uncertainty of 2023 is what is it that you really want, right? Really understanding the function of what it is you want and the meaning that you're trying to derive might be a more important way to set your goals for the year rather than Mm -hmm. sort of saying, how do you do less or more of one other thing to meet the thing that you're already doing? Right, right. I like that. So, uh, yeah. So it's the it's the value of the things that you're balancing to you as a person, right? So, you, you, is is that's what that's what you're saying, isn't it? Is that, um, yeah, it's it's it's, it. it's like this. It's it's to say, what is the impact that I want to have, right? Yeah. What is the what is the impact that I want to create? Yeah. And how do I balance all of the things that I want to do from an impact perspective? Yeah, Because what we immediately jump to is we say, the goal is to, for example, if we're in a, if we're a marketing person in a, in a company mm-hmm. or the CEO of a startup or something like that, we usually say the goal is to sell two times more than we did last year, yeah. or yeah. it's to grow our customer loyalty rate by 5% or to put a million more dollars in my bank account than I had last year. You know, we, yeah. we, we tend to quantify these goals and objectives based on the external perception of what that activity will provide. And so we say, great, how are we going to get a million more dollars? Well, that means we need to change out the activity of selling 
Yeah. Um, change out the activity of how we're spending our marketing dollars. Change out the activity of the number of meetings, the amount of travel I do. The you know all of those. We start reorganizing the rocks in our bucket before we pick up the bucket to start carrying it. And what we don't do is balance. What is the impact that I want to have? How satisfied? What's the satisfaction yes. that I will have at the end of the year? And how do I balance that satisfaction versus the activities that I'm doing? Yeah. And yeah. what I find is is that if you start focusing on the impact, the result, the function of what it is you want, mm-hmm. the rest of it starts to take care of itself. So it's it still may be that I travel a lot or that I sell yeah. a lot or that I do marketing stuff, but the way that I do it changes. Right. Yeah. To yeah to to satisfy you more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I like that. And it must be interesting. How do you choose a different word every year? I mean, that's such a great word. You must be thinking, this will be good for 24 as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, right. You know, I, the way I pick it every year is I just, I, 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 I use the week between Christmas and New Year's to, yeah. to think on it, right? To, yeah. to, to look and reflect. And I do a lot of writing and journaling and yeah. think through what it is that I really want. And, you know, I write one of my favorite activities to do. And I think we've talked about it on this show before is to write your future biography. Yeah. 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 So in many ways I'll, I'll write the, I'll write my biography for five years from now or a year from now and, and put all those things in the past tense, which tends to focus on your accomplishments and the things that you've done. Um, so that becomes fodder for me to start thinking about a word. Like, you know, I have a book, that I'm writing right now and mm-hmm. we'll be done with it later this month, but it won't come out until September, October of this right. year. Oh, cool. So yeah. one of the accomplishments is that the book is successfully launched. And so yeah. that's a, that's a very tactical thing. Yeah. Um, but it's an intention that I want to include in that balance, right? What, yeah. what does that mean? What does successfully yeah. launched mean to me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I look forward to another book from you. That sounds fantastic. Um, and, uh, so balance, I think that's a great that's a great um, piece of you advice. Should, for what's everybody. your word? You need to think of a word for yourself. Is what I'm <laughs> I will. I'll try and think of one before next week, maybe. Um, so uh, talking of next, no, let's. Uh, so um, where do people find very balanced <laughs> content on 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 the interwebs? That wasn't forced at all. Um, <laughs> I'm getting worse at this. I think it's a new year break. <laughs> They'll find us uh, on the web at yes. our little home on the web, which is, of course, contentadvisory.net, which is undergoing its own little rebalancing, as nice. it were, trying to get us up to date with content. Yes. Uh, we are a little woefully behind on that, but getting there, getting mm-hmm. there, as I say. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's, and, and then, of course, I'm writing every week at Content Marketing Institute. Dot com. Splendid. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, Robert? Well, they'll find me increasingly on LinkedIn. We're really yeah. doubling down this year on LinkedIn because it's such a great platform and I'm finding a lot of value there. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Twitter. Um, yeah. I'm still on it. And I think two, one of three things will happen. Yeah. Either one, Elon will run it into the ground and it'll be gone. Yeah. Two, Elon will somehow run himself into the ground and it'll go to somewhere else and maybe come back and we'll see. Yeah. Or three, it 
manages to do a complete turnaround and become a normal platform again, and I'll and I'll reinvigorate myself. But until one of those three things happens, <laughs> I'm I'm very I'm quiet. staying in the in the liminal, as it were, on on Twitter. I'm there, but not very active on it. So Blended. LinkedIn is the place to find me, or Mastodon. I'm enjoying yeah, very yeah. much the yeah. the conversations that I'm having on Mastodon. Love that. All right, mate. And uh, and will you be back for a conversation in the bar? Next well, of week. course, yes. yes. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled sort of nonsense of marketing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I look forward to it, mate. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. What would your word of the year be? It's been interesting thinking about this since I recorded that segment of Robert last night. So that's a wrap on episode 148 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Apologies for my voice this week. Thanks to Seth, Jeff, Matt and Robert for sharing their insight. And to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Please let me know what you think on the socials. We are Rockstar CMO or leave a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff Clark will be in the marketing studio. I go backstage with agency founder Aaron Templer. And as you heard, Robert will be back in the virtual bar. Until then, Happy New Year. And I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.